Hey everybody, before we start this week, I want to talk about a live event that I have coming up with SPAC. Join us on June 21st at 9 a.m. Pacific time for a live webinar on LinkedIn called Let's Really Talk About Orchestration and Customer Journey. The SPEC team, Nate and Patrick, will be joining me live right there on LinkedIn, and we're going to talk all about their company, about what orchestration really means, about what customer journey really means, and why you should know about it and what it means for your fraud fighting future. In the meantime, please visit www.specprotected.com to learn more about the patented trust cloud and how it can help you out today. And even send them a little email and maybe get a demo that they'll show you right live on your own site. It's really cool. Welcome to another episode of the Fraud Boxer Podcast. I got a good one today. I got a heavy hitter again in the room, well, virtually in the room. I got Brian Davis from Dodgeball. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to this one. Always good to talk fraud with whoever will listen to me. Hey, and, and that's the same way that I uh, I do it. I, people are starting to get over my shit at the bar when I talk about fraud all the time, you know, like people just start moving away, sliding out of yep. frame. Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I, think, I know that. Yeah, I think that you and I are going to have a pretty good conversation today. Uh, I thank you for, for changing the time. Uh, we had originally had this scheduled for a couple of weeks from now, but I said, let's move it up because, uh, unfortunately I'd recorded a lot of the most, more recent episodes in one big chunk right after MRC. So everybody was really like excited and fired up. So everybody wanted to record. So I haven't had a lot of, of time to talk to people lately about what's going on lately. And yeah. I really miss that. So I'm happy that you, that you and I are here today. So I want to start by kind of just talking about you. I mean, you got a lot of followers on LinkedIn. You post some really good stuff. I think that you have a really good thing that you do where you post short, insightful, like little quips about like fraud and management in general. And I think that that's gained a lot of traction. And I think that that's, that's really useful. It's like, it's not long, huge posts that you have to click see more on, you know, they're short to the point and useful. So yeah. How'd you start doing that? Kind of talk about you a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. So it actually started, well, I'm going to kind of go back in a little bit. Let's go all I, the way back to childhood. I, I ended up, <laughs> uh, we're not really here to unlock a lot of different traumas. I think we're just going to talk about fraud today. Um, <laughs> so it really actually content started with uh, consulting a few years ago. I had a little hiccup uh, with the previous company and said, oh, by accidentally, we can't employ you full time. And I said, all right, well, let's figure this out as a consultant relationship. They're kind of like, all right, I'm going to try to figure out what it means to be a consultant, what it means to actually run a business, get it up and right. I was ignorant and naive. I had no idea really what I was doing. Didn't really understand the whole bit of sales that goes into it, nor do I want anything to do with that naturally. So that's where the uh, content really started years ago. I got burnt out, hated it, went back into a company internally and kind of stopped my content came on to dodgeball um and part of what i wanted to do was create content around it if i can build my personal brand again dodgeball itself gains a little bit of recognition from that my attention span i really shoot to aim for posts that you're able to read digest within nine seconds 
Yeah. Yes, I can go deep and go on and on. This fraud, that fraud, this is how you go about that. But no one's reading that. People's attention span, they'll throw a like on. And at that point, for me, I felt like people aren't reading it. People aren't yeah. digesting it. People aren't learning. I'm wasting my time. I'm wasting their time. So it's really just understanding that LinkedIn is still social media and people are doom scrolling. So it's yeah. about how can I catch your attention just ever so slightly and get you to pique your interest enough? Um, oddly enough, I don't like LinkedIn as social media. I'm, a, I'm naturally a private person. I think we've kind of fallen with that in our career. We kind of like put up some boundaries to protect our part of ourselves yeah. and personal life. So it, I'm kind of almost learning in public how to write. Actually, in college, I needed extra time for writing. I'm not, was never known as a good writer. I was more business side of things. So that's actually where I fell into fraud, where it first caught my attention. So, so yeah, there's a, there's a lot but, in there. So I'm I, that's yep. funny. Like I um I was the opposite when I was in college. I was the uh, I was known as the writer, but not the talker. So I was a very um, closed off, shy person in college, and I would just yep. write, 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 write. And then I don't know how it happened or what happened, but those like I still write, but not like I used to like, write like little blog posts and everything. But uh, somehow like I unlocked the achievement unlocked on uh, the social skills, you know. So like I put I put all my uh, all my talent points into that lately, and here I am. But I, I think it's it's a, that resonates with me too about like the closed off person is as, as loud and proud as I am for the most part in this industry. Like the person that I am behind this microphone and the person that I am when you see me walking around the showroom floor is not the person that I am at home. Um, I'm a very different type of person. So we do have our, our industry persona. It's different than our private yeah. personas, I think. So, yeah. Yeah, without a doubt. I think part of that for me is I was quiet naturally as well. Uh, introverted. So when people meet me, they're surprised. I say I'm introverted. Uh, they're surprised that they, I get uncomfortable when I talk. They're surprised that like I put myself out there. There are people that are like, no, you're, you're extroverted enough out of you. Like you're way more extroverted than me. Uh, so for me, it was just recognizing as a tool of using it as a tool in my arsenal, just a skill, start to develop it to open up opportunities for myself and not close some doors that I never would have really ultimately had an opportunity for. So just recognizing that, that I'm not good at that. Uh, those aren't my skill sets, but I'm going to work on it. And it's really helped me in my own career. Yeah, and you've been uh you've been getting quite the uh the little group of following here. I think you got like almost nine thousand followers on on LinkedIn. That's that's pretty impressive. I will say, like, I think like you're totally right. Like something that that somebody can digest quickly. Um, I did that episode uh, last year uh, about with the customer experience and with Bryce Winkleman, and and he, we were talking about like how long you have people's attention. It's like it's, it's usually around seven seconds, and you're, so you're totally right about that. I see other people, you know, they try to throw a lot of emojis. Like there's some of those. I think a lot of people like when they're scrolling, like they, and I'm guilty of it too. Like just throw a like on someone that they know just to make sure they feel yeah. good, you know, without yeah. even reading it. Like you just, you're going past like that, better like it, better like it. Cause I'm going to need them later. You know, we're all kind of guilty of that in, in some. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, so you and I started talking um, on a regular cadence about a month ago. Um, I, I used to post these jobs in this, in this group on LinkedIn uh, like when the jobs would come up and uh, I'm no longer a part of that group um, by no choice of my own, but uh, I needed a new place to put some jobs up. And you had just coincidentally had started 
your own little thing and, and kind of done a little jobs board for your own website. So let's talk about that before we dive into um, dive into the, the actual companies and all the on your consulting and yeah. all of that. Yeah. yeah. So through content, people naturally just see me as a voice. There's not many people in our space who create content, who educate, coach publicly. So I started to get an influx with all the layoffs. Hey, are you hiring? Do you know who's hiring? What jobs? How do I find a job? And I, I started early on with like a couple of close friends that I've worked with that end up losing their jobs. I helped them find new roles, prepare for interviews. But there were a bunch of people. One, I don't know. So for my own reputation, I don't feel comfortable saying I'm going to place you with someone because I don't know your skills. I don't yeah. know how long you've been. Yeah, so exactly. reputationally, it's hard for me. And naturally, I, I want to help people. I want to help them grow in their own career, but I don't have those relationships. So for me to kind of fill that gap was recognizing there are other job boards out there. There are some job boards and groups that overlap a little bit with the types of roles that I post on uh, a job board, that fraud. And, but the problem was, is there's one job posted a week, two, three jobs posted a week. When there's jobs being posted daily and right now with the current situation if you're not really applying to a role within the first day or two some recruiters aren't going to look at them they might leave the job posting open to keep yeah. collecting it but it's that first wave of people so i wanted to collect all the jobs try to get them in a timely manner for people to come to one place and find what job works for them so i, I go through slack channels uh, linkedin groups bunch of different LinkedIn searches, name any job board uh, to really try to cover all the different gaps. Some companies you're, only use one versus another. And you're doing this like with technology, right? You're not doing this by hand or are you doing this by hand? A little bit of both. Um, so the first version to really test, test it out is built off of Notion and then a website builder wrapped off of Notion. So I have some listeners that collect a lot of data uh, and throw it into Notion, and then I format it, edit it a, little it a little bit. So then, yeah. when it comes up onto Notion, it's digestible by someone who's looking at it. Yeah, and and thank you for putting that together. And I have added a link um, a little over a month ago to the podcast site to the my Podbean site. So fraudboxer.com also has that. Um, you can also get that on the that fraud, which we will talk about in just a little bit here. Uh, yeah, and and I, I especially like you said in this time. I, I really like I was really enjoying making sure that people like I if there's jobs that I'm aware of or if I'm hiring to get those things in front of people. I'm, it's sad that some people take those those outlets away from other people. But I was very happy that you um, were able to fill that gap so I can share the, the the quality job postings that I get to with you if I need to um, and have a, a way that they will be seen as well. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for putting that together again, everybody. I will link that in the description of this, this episode as well. So you can make sure if you, if you are looking or if anybody, you know, is looking that there are resources and you can always reach out to us too. Like, and we will try and push you to the, the postings that we might know about, but uh, just know that like, there's, there's a lot of jobs out there. There are people hiring. We, we see them every day and they are listed somewhere. So, yeah. Yep. So let's talk about Dodgeball a little bit, like the company that you're at now. Let's talk about what it is. I believe that they are in the orchestration and, and customer journey space as well. Um, we were talking about that in our, our pre-show prep here a little bit. Uh, so talk to me about Dodgeball. Talk to me about how you got there, what it is, what it does. And uh, I might ask you some questions there because I, I try to learn as I go through these things. 
Yeah, right on. So fraud stack is a service. Our main wedge is fraud orchestration. So we really are building out the ecosystem to be able to bring in all the different vendors out there. You walk the floors of any event show, there's booths everywhere. There's never enough time for engineering resources. Fraud and trust and safety always has the bottom of the barrel unless you're fortunate one of the very few companies who have their own dedicated teams. For me, myself, I've never had that luxury. I've always started super small companies, more on that kind of like how I ended up here in a second. But uh, that's really the idea. Single integration with us, unlock all these different data providers. Someone non-technical like me can drag and drop and build everything out. Uh, and we do everything full, full user journey and in, into the customer experience. So you're thinking your traffic, your logins, your account creation, payments, withdrawals, blah, blah, blah. Whatever you think might say, hey, this is a risky point in our customer journey. And at this checkpoint, we want to either collect some information, put some friction in place, not put some friction in place. It's not always about adding more friction. Uh, it's about having the right balance and signals and say, I trust them a lot or I don't trust them at all. Uh, and then being able to drop things live and really adapt. This is kind of what like blew my mind of like, uh, like I've always thought in my career that 2FA, MFA, shared secrets, that was always another team. I would yeah. love for it to have friction into it, uh, like in certain very specific scenarios, drop that in to deter some activity. But me now I can like drag and drop it in and say in this channel, drop, hit them with 2FA, hit them with an email, whatever it may be, a shared secret. So actually um, creating that like front end experience as a fraud fighter of like, wait, hold up. Why haven't I thought that I, I could be responsible for this yeah. before? Uh, so that really is the idea there. Like, have you ever tried to investigate with like 13 tabs open? It sucks. Uh, like yeah. band-aid solutions of I have fraud provider A for this, fraud provider B for that. I have a customer communication tool, this hacky internal system. So we'll collect all that data, put it in one place. So the investigation teams, if they want to use it as a case management tool, have it. Or you want to use something else. If you're crazy, you want to use Jerry even. Send it on all over all that compiled data wherever you want it. So I've been talking a lot in my last few episodes um, about this orchestration thing, and I think that the yeah. like I, I keep saying it's the future, and I really do mean that. You know, like it's it's not just because like my sponsor is an orchestration platform, not because I'm talking to you on an orchestration platform to stroke your ego or any of that, but I really do think that like that is going to change the game of what we do and how we do it. And I was actually on a call yesterday. Uh, and we were talking about orchestration and what, and what some of the, the, the possible scenarios could look like in the world. And I think that like for so many years, you know, we've done these long development cycles with our our providers and then we pick that provider and then we have a one year, three year term, whatever it may be. And that's, that's yeah. our fraud tool. And there's a period there. That's what we're using. And I think one of the, the things that's really cool, it's coming into this orchestration space is we could say, well, for this channel, we use this tool. And then for this other channel, like if we had, like, let's say we had, we were in e-commerce and we want to use tool A to do all the decisioning there, instant decisioning, you know, covered model, boom. But then we have a, like a subscription-based or a um, digital delivery model that we want to be a little more hands-on with. Well, we could say, yep. well, for that channel, we could, we want to use this. We want to have a review queue. We want to do these things and we want to fire like any sort of um, like identity checking. And we can do that. We can just choose this path we fire this tool and this path, we do this tool. Now you do have to do a little bit of, of work with the, with negotiating deals still with those vendors, but to turn yeah. them on and turn them off or run POCs, it's instant. 
And I think that that's, I think people need to understand. I think that's where it's going. And, and like, one of the things I was talking about yesterday too, is like some of these people that I've known that have used this fraud tool, like one specific fraud tool for like 15 years, they've always been on this tool. It's what they do. It's just how they are. And like, I tell them, you know, when I, when I talk to dinner, I'm at dinners with these people, I'm at cocktails. I'm like, you know, there's new hotness out there. There is new hotness. And when you, if you had an orchestration platform, you don't have to be so just married to your tool. Sorry for the bad term in 2023, but you don't have to be married to your tool. You can just try something just for a day, you know, maybe just for a week. You could just try and just see maybe there's a lift, maybe there's not, but you don't have to go back to your engineering team and say, okay, we want to run a POC on these three things. Here's all their integration documents. I'll see you in 18 months when we test in Sandbox. You can literally just click it on, get some, some data, get some results, see what you want to do and make a decision because that tool that you've been using for 15 years, well, they're counting on you staying for another 15 and they're exactly. already, they are, those checks are already cashed in the future, but you might be missing out on something that's so cool and so necessary now. Like those old legacy tools, like they're great. They work well, but there is technology now that you need to have that you probably aren't getting from those tools that are a little older. And then some of those tools are so big now that like new mandates come out, like compelling evidence 3.0. And those tools aren't even ready when those things hit. And they're not going to be ready for a while because it's just too much for those companies to change when there's vendors. Now, out some there internal politics right you're now. going through. Yeah. Exactly. Go but the red also like yeah. working with some of those tools, especially coming from a global company. Have you ever used a tool where they are really good domestically, wherever you are domestically yep, listening. 100%. Yep. And then you're stuck with this tool in a global market and you're just squeezing yeah. it out. CEO's say, like, let's well, I got global expansion. <laughs> and then there's that no data about working. identity, no data about where the packages are going, nothing. Oh, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, like, that's just the simplest scenario that I usually talk about of like, you have pain points in this non domestic market. We'll just create a simple branch and say, in this market, bring a tool that specializes in that area. And then domestically, your main traffic, use that. That will still handle. You don't have to move away from that tool. Uh, and then you kind of talked about like the research side of things. That's really another piece where we're really trying to help uh, for people who don't use us. We have a free trial and we're including uh, tools within that to test out. So you test credits. Ultimately, we want to get all the vendors on that. We have a long way to go with that. So instead of talking to us, and another vendor, you just sign up. You don't even need to talk to us. You don't need to talk to some of these vendors. You just flip on a switch. And now you can test out today. It's about seven, eight different fraud prevention tools and say what one really works for us. No talking to us, no talking to them. That's that's pretty cool. See, and that takes a lot of the, the stress out too. And I think that like, what I just want to keep like take people to take away from these conversations that I'm having on these like episodes where I'm just pounding this orchestration thing home is like, you got to have a more open mind about the future. I think like we, I've always said that we got to like have an open mind, but I think we all get guilty and complacent and we get comfortable in our tools, but you got to have an open mind about some of these things. Like some of these new upstarts, like we say it all the time. Like there's like 15 new every, every year at all our conferences, there's like 15 new vendors that are in there. And then we don't see half of them the next year. And that's yep. fine. You know, everybody's trying, but some of those you do see and then the next year they have the big booth. And yep. don't you kind of want to know why? <laughs> like, you know, not just because they cashed a $150 million like VC check, but there's a reason that that $150 million came from that VC. So it might be worth poking around. Like that, that's one thing that like I've always been, I always play with is I do poke around with the new vendors and see what's going on. Um, and, I, and I'm using right now at my company, 
I'm using a quote new vendor that's come in the space in the last 10 years and I'm having immense success with it. We're extremely happy with it. And five years ago, I probably wouldn't even have thought about it, you know, like I, I, I knew exactly. it existed, but like now, like I'm all in on them. Like this is all the chips are on the middle of the table right now. <laughs> Especially when you can test them, test them against your current tools and not talking like, oh, we'll, we'll pull your historic data and we'll look like how, how we would have helped you a year ago. Like that yeah. doesn't help me today. That doesn't help I me tomorrow. I got a trend happening right now that wasn't happening three months ago. Like how, how exactly. are you going to answer that? Yeah. And that's really the pressing question we put out fires like we don't want to put out fires we want to be in a situation as fraud fighters to be a little bit more proactive and a little bit more on the ability to trend and project what we'll see but that's unrealistic in the space we're in so actually as fraud fighters when you have this fraud problem you're doing a lot of education you're doing a lot of scrambling you're doing a lot of like parenting of your team to make sure people are working when they're supposed to be working at the capability they're supposed to be working to bring that all together and actually say how will this new tool help me here could it have helped me yes no run it in silent track it live track it in silence so it doesn't actually affect your new tool that you love the way it used to be it's always been this way we trust them and just see you know what you might be surprised or on the other end you might be right like, all right, old reliable, we're going to keep with old reliable. Yeah. There, and there's no shame. Like, I'm not saying like, yeah, exactly. That's a great point. I'm not saying that then these new hotnesses are going to are gonna beat your new your old tool. Like your legacy tool, your, like the incumbent might still win in every way. Like it might be perfect for your business. Like I, I know, like, especially like some of like the airlines and stuff, they have drastically different needs from their tools than, than some of the newer, the newer like platforms would have the ability to do, you know? So maybe stick with your solution that's custom built for that. But for, for regular traditional e-com marketplaces and all that, it's worth just kicking the tires on new things every couple of years, in my opinion. And if you can kick the tires a lot easier, like there's a reason that test drives exist at dealerships. I'm just saying. If you can I mean, all, that's ultimately how I ended up at Dodgeball. I am someone who has the aptitude to really talk to anyone. I enter a lot of, to the other side, sales conversations yeah. to really see what tools or products are out there just for my own curiosity. So I was leaving, I knew I was leaving my previous company I was at. Um, and I had been talking with the Dodgeball team at this point for a couple months. It just started as a random LinkedIn connection and then a pitch slap. Hey, do you want to give feedback? Most people say like, oh, block. I don't want to talk to you. I'm on the other end where I give people a chance, even if it's a shitty sales uh, conversation. Now be on the provider side. I want to give these people an opportunity to learn and improve their messaging positioning. Uh, So that's ultimately how I started at Dodgeball. This little pitch like that. Hey, you want to give some feedback? Most people ignore that. I'm someone who says, yeah, let's see what you got. And here I am today, a year later, helping them build out the product. How how long ago did Dodgeball start? Uh, they started in 2021. The founder started uh, working Ooh, on it. That's a bold time to start. <laughs> I guess everybody was kind of home, right? You know. <laughs> yeah. So the founders are more on the technical side, and naturally, as most engineers, they're VPEs, CTOs. Uh, they got hit with some type of fraud problem in the the midst of their last roles, and all of a sudden fraud becomes the hottest topic for the company because 
everyone's on top of it and money, every single dollar mattered, especially at that time. Not that it doesn't matter today, probably people are more cautious, but it really mattered then because there was so much uncertainty. It just got dumped on their pl plates and they're like, I was never hired to do this, nor do I want to do this, get this off my plate yesterday, but I guess it's a problem. Um, so I'll figure out how to do it. So these engineers who didn't have dedicated teams of fraud professionals had to research what the hell an account takeover was, what the hell a chargeback was, identity, insert the full spectrum. So they were working in a couple of different like marketplaces. So the full user journey, there's all different types of risks there. So there's confusion of all these fraud tools sound the same, but they do different things. How do I know what is the right tool? They are all integrated differently. They don't connect and speak to each other. So then ultimately they got connected and was like, hey, you've done something like this too? That was awful, wasn't it? Wouldn't it be helpful to our community if no one had to worry about that? So that was really how it started from, from there. A couple of uh, leadership engineer executives saying, why, why are we working on this? Thank you for that and that history on that. That's very, very, very interesting. You touched on this education thing. And I've been also talking about education a lot while I've been talking about orchestration. So I think that you're helping a lot with, with the education. So your company that you have is called Zap Fraud, correct? Correct. Let's talk about that fraud. <laughs> it really kind of started as, well, it started as bad fraud advice. Uh, and then that fraud kind of turned into like by overcatching, like almost I'm calling it like an idea factory, that fraud newsletter, that fraud job board, that fraud, blah, 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 whatever my other ideas really may be. And it really is about listening to our community and finding resources to help. And there's a lot of different facets to that. So bad fraud advice is the newsletter I run really is kind of turning bad fraud advice into opportunities to stand out as a leader in the fraud community. It started as a joke between a couple people yeah. that I've just met with on LinkedIn and people I work, there's like all, all these people who don't work in fraud, who have any idea what fraud even is, all of a sudden say, hey, we should do this. And then we just sit here as educated fraud professionals and say, if we follow that, that would be awful idea. Like if a COO came to you and said, we're just going to cut all of your fraud prevention tools because that should save a bunch of money. You can investigate yeah. everything, right? Yeah. Bad fraud advice. If that were to happen, the company probably wouldn't exist today. So that's just one example. There's all the like, hey, what if we let in more of these users? You're rejecting too much. <laughs> oh, we're rejecting fraud. We're just going through a fraud spike. So those are just like a couple of the, the examples of like where it started. So then I just wanted to find a area of like, how do I bring that out? Because those are all struggles we really all have like commonly faced. So it's, it's not unique really to me, like my story or journey there isn't anything that is different. Oh, I've never experienced that. Oh, I've never heard that. It's just relevant. Um, I started I, my first attempt with it was actually trying to include people's stories into it and people's perspectives. Yeah. But people were afraid that if I talked about it, if I being them talked about it, then people will think I'm talking bad about my current company. So I had trouble getting people to actually share publicly about it. So then I just took all these ideas from people, kind of crowdsourced different problems or 
themes that people have heard and just started writing about it. Like, why is it bad advice? How we overcome it? And then it's ultimately kind of turned into a little bit of that and some on the like how to become a fraud leader is ultimately like yeah. the the niche I, I saw I write about there. I saw you have like a coaching like things that you offer, like like resume, like presence, like basic executive presence type type coaching, but for fraud people. Uh, so I think that that's super interesting. So you want to talk about the the coaching part a little bit? Yeah, again, listening to the audience, similar to like, hey, how do I find a job? How do I stand out? How do I build out a fraud team? How do I get my my team involved? How do I get buy-in? How do I get influence? So more of like the soft skills development, a big piece is really accountability. We, we can all kind of source and find this information I give enough away on LinkedIn. There's other people that give away enough on LinkedIn. If you just yeah. kind of follow and read and digest and take action, you'll probably be okay. Uh, it really is that taking action piece that most people don't do. 100%. So like people ask me like, why do you share all this? Why do you give it away in free in the newsletter? Why do you write so much on LinkedIn? How do you find so much time to do it? It's like I'm giving back. Uh, just most people don't follow through. So I don't really have a problem giving away so much for free it's the people that need the little extra support in building their career that that's really kind of the the subset the segment yeah and i think that that's super interesting there like the same thing kind of with me with this podcast is like i kind of just started it for fun you know i never i never really planned on it to be anything crazy you know but my but the follow-through is is what matters you know and i'm still yep. putting out episodes and it, it, granted now it has a sponsor and 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 i i love my sponsor thank you spec but like it was something that like i i didn't dream of happening but i didn't realize how much work it was because like this this like my podcast has a business it has a real business yep a real with the with the government a real bank account it has its own actual stuff and like to put these notes, like you, you went through the process with me. Like I, we have notes. We went back and forth on the notes a little bit here. Like there's organization that comes into this. And I think that other people, when they're like, I'm going to go start a podcast. Uh, they don't realize like, okay, now you have to do that. You have to buy microphones. You have to put out content. You have to find a regular cadence. You have to find guests and finding guests is hard, especially like I see a lot of um, people that say they're going to start podcasts end up being on the, the vendor side. And like, if I was on a vendor, I couldn't have you over here. Like you probably wouldn't want to talk to me. I'm in a unique spot because first of all, I'm on the merchant side. So I get like people that want to talk to me because they just want to talk about their products. But now I'm, I'm one of the OGs in the industry. I've been in this industry for a really long time. So like people, like I have a built enough of a built-in audience that like I could put episodes out and people will listen and I can get guests that are like super interesting because I've known these people for like a decade, you know? Yep. And, and I, and I, and I, I don't try to do like, I know some, some of the other podcasts that are in the industry like are more um, they're after more different things. I just want to talk to my friends about fraud. Like that's really like all I'm doing. And and whether the, like, and, and we just usually wind up talking about like, like we're about to do talk about like the trends and the, like, the topics of the day. Yep. But like, it's just like, there's a lot of follow through that is required to do this. And the same thing goes hundred percent when you're running a fraud team. Like I see managers come into to these, these fraud companies and they come in at manager level and they have, they don't have a whole lot of experience managing actual people. They expect it to kind of just run itself, but like, you have to like be available and you, and they are looking to you to execute. And you can't just come in and say, I'm the boss. This is what we should do. No, you guys go do it. No, you got to hold up your part too. You know, like I like. I think team, there's a yeah. a whole bit of like where you ultimately come from, uh, and it, it kind of depends yeah. on. So for me, I 
some people think I'm crazy of how I do it. I have always been the first fraud fighter hired. So I build fraud teams up from yep. scratch and I'll, I haven't focused on one specific industry. So it's not like, hey, I am going to be the fraud builder for marketplaces or the ticketing industry, whatever it may be. Yep. I've done digital subscription, physical good, marketplace, consulting, fintech. Now I'm the provider side. So I like to look at different types of fraud and abuse from different perspectives and say, all right, how does this actually work? Yep. How do you actually get abused? Yes, all the vulnerabilities and different risk checkpoints are there in all these businesses. But the one I care about might be a little bit more different compared to a different business model. But I, I start off. So instead of continuing to grow at a company or getting to a point in doing the step over, of like I'm going to go to the same level, I go yeah. back over to an early stage company that start you're figuring over. out your fraud problem, I like building it out. So I organize the chaos. I create the rules, the structure, the frameworks of how a fraud team operates, bringing the tools to providers. And then I say there's too many rules here. I got to get out of here. Way yeah. too much structure <laughs> in place. Let someone else come here and take it on over from there. That's funny. I've been, I've, uh, I used to do that. So I, I joined, you know, obviously Fandango when it was very young, um, and then Golden Hippo when like there was nobody yeah. doing fraud at all there, um, and built out the systems like from the ground up there. But then like the, my last two companies have been very large, very established fraud teams already. They've been around for a long time. But the the thing is, is like I, I kind of just went in and 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 changed them to be more like it was like the first time. Okay, now we're gonna move this. We're gonna start doing this. Yeah. A lot of optimization happens there, um, and then a lot of lean. Like especially here at at um, iHerb, unfortunately, like some of the geopolitical stuff that we in countries that we do business in, there was some situations that led us to having to to reduce our staff a little bit. But yeah. we were able to um, to optimize to be able to fill that gap. But it it is it is it's different for me now because like I come in at a level where like I don't get to make rules anymore. Mm -hmm. Like I get to point at outcomes and then uh, empower my team to try and achieve that outcome. You know, and I, and if they have questions, I'll I'll answer them along the way. But um, I will say that I'm I'm very fortunate that this company, especially that like the the people are very capable, um, and like it's it's how I've all, even it's kind of the way that I manage my my staff too is like. Okay, guys, we have a goal, right? So there's there's what we want to be. Like it, it could be like your certain fraud rate. It could be a certain manual review rate. It could be a certain time, like review time. All these different things. So you have a goal in mind, but that's the goal. And in the middle part, you kind of empower your people to figure out. Okay, how should we get to this goal there? And some of the times, like I'll be a little more hands on with that. But some of the times, like I have like Steve on my team. The other day, he emailed me and he's like, "Hey, I know we have this this presentation coming up." He's like, would you mind if I took a crack at it? And I was like, go for it. And one of the things that I always do with my team is if they want to, to, to do the journey in the middle of themselves, I'm like, hey, just check in with me, you know, like at the rest stop. Just, is this what you're thinking? Is this what you're thinking? And I do it with my boss too. When they ask me yep. to build things, I'm like, hey, is this what, you're, what you had in mind? Because I don't want to go too far down a path. And then it's a waste, waste of time, time, effort, yeah. and then start all the way over. Yeah, I think how you're really thinking about it. And there's one actually key component to me that I think you get it. So you've been the early stage. You're not just coming in and saying, hey, this is how I think the front line works. You get the front line. You get building from the ground up. You get that. And then as a leader in the bigger bit, you have that trickle down effect of you have a little bit extra empathy in my perspective because yeah, you a good understand point. The, st uh, the stress, the pressure, 
um, the cadences that the team doesn't always get visibility to, depending on what company you're from. People don't really understand what the front line really sees, goes through, experiences, all of that. But you do. Yeah. And thank you. Like, I, I think that's, that's a great way to put it. Now, I will say that not all of my employees appreciate that. Um, I have <laughs> had staff even more recently that like they think they are entitled to more <laughs> and that they think that they like they just kind of jump the gun on their mm-hmm. knowledge and they they think they 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 solve problems without the fundamental understanding of what the problem is and like they get frustrated with me when i'm like well just slow down you're not quite all the way there yet you know and i try to make them understand but there's like there's some people that like look, i'm not going to be everybody's cup of tea and that's just how it is you know but for the vast majority i've had a super low turnover and i have super capable people uh, and for the most part i feel like my people like working for me because like you're right I've been in their shoes. I've walked that mile and I understand exactly what they're going for. And I, this is, I've said it before on one of these, but I understand who I wanted to be leading me when I was in that spot. And I try to be that person that I wished that my boss was at that time. And, and I feel we've had pretty good success. I mean, that I heard here, I mean, obviously I can never go into specifics about what we do, but we have completely fundamentally changed our, our fraud entire approach out and not even just on transactional fraud, but on some of our abuse stuff as well. And we've had tremendous success here, and and all of us are less stressed out because of it. And like that's that's how I always like I I, I, do this. I said it on the sales podcast too. If I can make my day in the process of what I have to do with my day not stressful, that's a win for me. And make your life easier. Yeah. It's about sustainability, and especially around holiday season, if that's your time or if you're in the gaming industry probably super bowl understanding the difficulty of the increased volumes not always staffed at the level the team needs yep it's hard and it's a really big big factor in burnout yeah and that's you know that's an excellent point too like the so my business, like that's a good point with the, the big times. And let's talk about this for a second. Like we're just completely going off script and I love it actually. Um, <laughs> the the burnout thing is crazy, like especially around like holidays. And I think that everybody has those horror stories. I see all the posts come up on LinkedIn, like everybody just get ready, buckle in. We're about to just yep. get crazy. So when we were building our our system here at iHerb, we thought really ahead of the curve about our scalability during these busy times. Now we do a ton of business in the Asian market. So we have things like Singles Day, Chinese New Year, mm-hmm. um, and, and these different sales that they have for different holidays that we participate in. And our, so our our ups and downs are very, very streaky. Of course, we have Black Friday, which is huge, you know, and we have a Cyber Monday, which is also huge for us. But for these other markets where they have their own holidays that are just as big as our Black Friday here in the US, it's now trickling to other countries. We had to think about that in mind because I have now four manual reviewers total and my business is massive like we are several billion dollar business we have a tremendous amount of 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 orders that like i can't just blow those people out and they have a schedule they have families and i have i have a couple of them like just had children and i'm very supportive of them having children and taking and baby bonding time and i'm going to allow them to take their full amount allowed by my company time to bond with their children so i can't blow up the cues there so we very much built this with scalability in mind from front to end including like full automation partial automation that we can turn on at the flip of a switch if we need to so yeah what are your thoughts there? yeah <laughs> i think that's important i mean it, it kind of goes into 
really the dodgeball piece as well, being adaptable to not just fraud, but the ebbs and flows of your business to your teams. People leave. People look for new jobs. People don't cut it out for a certain role. And that affects your headcount, your planning. Your plan never goes perfect. And being able to respond and remain adaptable to that. I know everyone says, oh, adaptability. We're huge on adaptability. We do this, we do that. Uh, the, The challenge, though, is all these people who say they're adaptable, that part of the team suffers for the adaptability for the company. And being able to support them when the company is being adaptable, but they're feeling the brunt force and the stress and the pressure and just the overwhelming overworked overload. And a lot of these people naturally, like, I I mean, I was in that situation too. Like, again, going back to the introverted quiet bit naturally in the beginning of my career, I wouldn't speak up. I wouldn't raise my hand. I would say, don't worry about this, guys. I got it. I got your fraud problem. No one worry about this. Because for me, I felt like at that point, that was going to make me more valuable. That would make me stronger. Just going to throw more work on you and stress you out. (laughs) Yeah. And no one knows how I'm feeling or really what I'm doing. They just say, oh, Brian will get this. Oh, that seems like a fraud issue. That's abusive. Brian will get this. And then it comes into my abyss and then nothing goes out. No feelings of how I'm feeling. No, I need support. I need help. Or I'm crushing it. Hey, this is what I am doing for you. And without that feedback into it, you're never going to get support. I won't say never. You're rarely going to get support. It's going to be really hard to get influence of buying of new tools, new products, data, whatever it may be. It'll be really hard to find roadmap. How many times have your project been kicked down to Q3 of 2026? It's because you're not speaking up and really driving home. You got to be your biggest advocate. And if you're not your biggest advocate, who else is going to be? And I think that also like for transparency, like transparency, that that word that, that people say a lot goes a lot further than people realize, like being transparent with like your boss. I think so many, so many people in, in leadership roles are scared in two ways. They're scared when something goes wrong to say something went wrong. Yep. And then they're scared to talk to their boss or to the company, speak to the company, the stakeholders about what's really happening. And I think that that's bad. And and obviously some companies and certain stakeholders, um, like they, they will react to it differently. But for like me, both of my, my, my last company and this company, like I, I immediately when we finish recording this, I'm going to go speak to my, my boss on my one-on-one. And I'm going to be very open and honest with him about the, the things that like our numbers, where we are, what we need and like how things are going. Now, granted, this one's going to be a good one. So, <laughs> so I'm not super worried about that, but things go wrong, deadlines yep. slip. And I just have to say, Hey, I set the expectations. I'm like, Hey guys, this deadline is changing. These are the reasons why we're going to, we, we are going to be okay. If I need help, I will tell you, and I, I, I would expect them to deliver. I also have, um, in our, we have, we use a sauna here and it's like, it's a kind of, I call it Facebook for projects. Uh, <laughs> and every two weeks we, we put our numbers in and that goes to my senior leadership, our C-level, which my yep. boss is pretty much a C-level. So, I mean, he, they already usually know what's going on, but it's just there and it's just tracking, you know, and I will put good and bad in there. This broke, this happened. We got attacked by this, but it sets that expectation. So there's no surprises. And also if like something happens and I need like headcount, I could say, Hey, we're getting blasted by this region. And this is, there's, we can't answer it with technology because of this. I need this. And 
they're way more open as long as I can frame it. And if, for people that want to understand like how I talk about my numbers, you can go listen to my one that I did with Matt Friend. I talk about how I quantify dollars and cents on fraud in there. Uh, but if you can put value around it up front, it's and then have those conversations. These are the losses, and these are, and these are what we need to enter an answer. It's going to cost this, but really be open and honest. Like don't sweep it under the rug. Like be open, be honest. Like it goes so far. What do you, what do you and I think one other piece of that consistent, be consistent. Cause you're not going to show up oh, and say, yeah. Hey, we got a fraud problem. And then they're going to magically say, here's the roadmap. Here's an open checkbook, write what you want down, bring in whatever vendors. Unfortunately, a lot of it is playing a long game of, Hey, who, who, well, a lot of what I would do would be like, all right, here will we, I'm also again, earlier stage. So there are companies we would want to grow into. We weren't one of the bigger ones being like, all right, it's an open space. So I'd ultimately be like, all right, what are the risk profiles of the companies we want to become? They are doing this, they are getting hit with that. And then kind of start like an education tour ahead of these problems starting to like occur internally. So I would get past fraud 101, payments 101, chargebacks 101. So when a problem occurred, I'm not level setting. Uh, and I would do different ways. And I, I won't say that one way worked at every company. I've done digest, I've yeah. done lunch and learns, how to catch a fraudster. I've done reverse shadowing, shadowing, like bringing people into my work. And I'll say one's worked at one company and then it was an absolute failure at another company. So it's just really understanding who your audience is, what they care about, aligning your fraud goals with their goals, and then trying to find that common ground of how to get them into your world enough. Uh, yeah. so they, they just understand. enough. And that's that's the key. It's just enough. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and it's tiring. It's exhausting because most of the time you're like, well, I got to do this job. Once I recognize this piece, I grew faster in my career. I kind of, it felt weird. I'm, I'm stopping fighting fraud to talk about fraud and i'm not fighting fraud because i'm talking yeah. about it with people but now i'm actually going to unlock opportunities to help my team and we'll grow faster i became more visible so then i started to, it helped me in my own career but it felt backwards i'm growing yeah. as a fraud fighter by not fighting fraud that's something such an, that's such an excellent point because like these the, like when we go to these conferences or we do these these webinars when we talk or we just have these these conversations like we're having right now like if you're not like involved in that and you're not in the, in the world, you know, you're not, you're not learning about all these things that are happening, but at the same time, in order to be in this world, you have to not be in the queue. And it's kind of weird to, to, to like, I learned so much from my peers, like people like yourself of what's happening, the trends that are going on in the world. And I bring those back and we talk about it to my team, you know, my team sees the same things and I share some of this stuff that we see with everybody else. But like, I feel that like right now today, I'm a more experienced and better equipped for the modern world of fraud fighting. And I haven't approved an order in probably eight months, not a single <laughs> order, you know, like I haven't even probably opened the queue in probably two months. Like just, I mean, I go in there just to see like, is it full or not? But now I have a handy <laughs> little dashboard that tells me if it is. So I know right away. <laughs> you get the alerts. Yeah. yeah. I, I think um, just having a pulse on that is important and really getting the, the feedback into that. Well, let's start to wrap this up a little bit here. Um, I know we're going to go a little long, but I do want to talk about like the the beaten bones of what we wanted to talk about today with some of the fraud trends that's going on, what we're seeing in our world, because we're we're a little more out there in like 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 we just said, we're a little more out there talking to all these different folks about what they're seeing, and I think we should kind of just share that a little more now. Um, so, what do you got? 
fraud as a service. So not oh, fraud yes. stack as a service of what we do, but fraud as a service. And this is really, I'm becoming more visible of it because of my role. Uh, I really handled strategy and education and advocacy for uh, dodgeball within our, our fraud fighting community. So because we work with different vendors, because we work with different tools, I'm gaining visibility that I never had access to. I have access to so many different tools that I can just play in their sandbox and see what they see. I work connect collectively with their team of like what fraud they're seeing on their network. And really one big theme across of it is fraud itself is becoming more organized. We talk about organized crime, but not in that sense, more in the sense of these people are hiring like we as merchants hire. Yeah. They are offering PTO and benefits like we do as merchants. They have their own schedules around the clock, though, because they got to make money uh, just like we do. And they communicate. They work well together. They have strategy. They have business operations. They have CEOs, founders, et cetera, et cetera. Fraud is becoming far more professional. So as a business, people come to these businesses and they offer services. And these services target merchants, fintechs, marketplaces, whatever it may be. And this is now the organized crime side of things to really target these companies to find how they can get value out of it. This information, whether it's products, whether it's recovery of funds and the products or washing money through. Obviously, we can go into all the different tactics. Oh, yeah. but usually some type of money is the value, some type of data that they can use to build additional data points or get access to something else. And just recognizing this is actually an eye opener for me of like, maybe it, I'm self-centered. So when I worked at a company, it was like, oh, everyone's attacking me and trying to get to me. But now as I've taken a step back of seeing, I was just a pawn into the bigger fraud strategy of, I was probably being used for some information you have to get some value out of it, but they are taking that information and going elsewhere, combining yeah. that with another merchant that they were abusing, collecting that, and then taking this full profile, selling it, offering it, whatever it may be, and then going for the big hit. Um, yeah. So really having these people who say, I don't want to commit fraud myself, but this is what I want. And will you do You'll this hire on somebody behalf? Yeah. And I think we saw that kind of a little bit like the with the it started with like more visually with the refund abuse where it's like there's those yep. people that were offering like refund services, which which was a business. Again, it was a business that they were offering a service and you pay them to go and do this refund for you. And now the same thing is happening on the fraud side where like people will say, I want this thing and they go and they steal it for you and they give it to you. And it's like you said, it's a real business, multiple employees. These people have time off. They have the healthcare vision, the whole thing, like they are, it's a real honestly thing. probably some of better than us. They probably pay super well, and yeah, and at the same time, you know, like these are are things that are attacking us. So it's not like it's. I think it's more organized. Like the the good way to put it is, it's just more organized than it's ever happened. And I know we've all been saying that. Telegram, it's more organized, but it's like it's organized. Like you have to understand, like years and years and years ago, when we we would have like a triangulation scheme would be hitting my site and then something else would be hitting your site, but it's a different group of people. They're just found like they, they just wanted that one thing or they found that one exploit. It's like, this is a group of three guys or something, but now like they talk about it and then you get just blasted 
by a ton of like the same group of people hitting you. And then they're, they're doing the same thing on your site, on my site, on the 10 other sites over there. Like this organization and this coming together is, is completely I mean, you, different. you paid, you pay to enter their communities. You pay for coaching, you pay for education. They have consulting services. So they have all of that, that they offer. So it makes it even easier for someone who has no idea what to do to say, I want this, go to them, get your coaching services, get your consulting services, get your tools even, pay for them, and then boom, you're off and running. I think people too need to understand like your site, like that might not always just be attacked under like monetization purposes. Like um, I think you were just kind of talking about where they get like pieced together the information. Like if your website, if you can, if you can gain entry, like ATO into the site, wherever they got the credentials from. And then they can click on like the account page and then they could see full address or full phone number or full email. You know, they might be grabbing pieces of information from your site that they were not getting from other sites to build those whole personas out in order to do, to create synthetic identities, to do these whole different things. So that's why, like, I think it's really important. Like when you go to account details page, you see more and more sites doing it now where they prompt like re-login or 2FA when you go to account details page or they, they do another fraud interdiction that the, um, if you change any details, which I think- Again, just seen as another checkpoint, another checkpoint of the user journey. Yeah, and 100%, and that's where like the, the orchestration platforms are super helpful is because you can do those interdictions right then and there. So, yeah. Uh, another thing, like, I, I know we talked about fraud as a service as a, as a word. I just want to make a side point that I, I, I talk about it too. Um, but I talk about it in a different context than fraud as a service. Like, sometimes we um, partner with third-party services here, um, not in fraud services, but, like, for, for our company. And we um, are talking about offering what we do, offering our teams up to help them with fighting their fraud as a service. So I guess we could call it FF. Uh, AAS uh, fraud fighting as a service, like where we would we provide that. So that's another thing that that, that, that could another opportunity to some businesses, depending on how your partnerships work. Uh, you might want to look into. I, I tried doing that at a company I was at a while back, but then COVID kind of derailed all of that. But um, yeah, there's other opportunities. You know, like that. That's see, I'm always trying to find ways to make my fraud team a profit center somehow yep. versus a loss, and like charging like our, our third party partners a, a small fee in order to offer our services can kind of offset that a little bit. I actually have a model that I built that shows exactly how much I need to charge and how many orders I need to have to make my entire team profitable. It's pretty funny. <laughs> it's but I mean that's it's it's yeah I'm not I'm, uh, but that's the thing of what we ultimately need to do as a whole as a fraud fighting community is find ways again to tie to revenue, not to say hey we'll increase revenue by reducing rejection rate yeah sure but there's other ways to tie to initiatives goals product features launches there's a lot of different avenues to move away from the stigma of we're just a cost center just a cost center it's going to be really hard to grow your team and build influence yeah that's why you really need to find like ways like i'm always creating like little spreadsheets that demonstrate like our value um, and, I, and like I said, I talked about on the Matt Friend one, but like I have things that like, it, I have a spreadsheet that I can put in all my salaries, how much the tool costs, how many sales we're doing, all these things that shows exactly to the penny, like how much in my individual transaction costs. And then like to, to, to scan for fraud. And then I like I have this other model that shows like how many, if we were to, to, to sell our services, what our markup would need to be on our products how many transactions they need to have in order to offset that completely. And then it has like a percentage and it, it also does a model about how many orders 
like we have and how many people, like how many staff I individually need to have based on like our order review rates and all that. So like I could see in the, the, the spiky seasons, uh, yep. like if, if I have enough staff or not. And that's just something that's like a forever model that I have. I just grab like our, our projected sales and our actual sales each month and then throw it in there. And it's, it's a pretty fun little thing to have, you know, it's, it's useful to have because that way, if anybody ever asks me information about my team, I can tell them exactly you got how much it. the cost. Yeah. <laughs> what else you got, man? Chargeback automation. I mean, to the core, my career started in chargebacks. Um, I mean, I was hired. I, well, I, I was hired. I wanted to get into e-commerce because I thought at that point, if you're e-commerce, you're a startup, you're cool, you're fun. I want to work in fraud. Honestly, didn't really know what either of those honestly meant in the re real world. I was hired for a chargeback, well, fraud role, but my main role was chargeback. Yeah. They had a chargeback problem. I didn't know if that was a good thing, a bad thing. Do we want more chargebacks, less chargebacks? Um, like, I got this. It's We've a got balance. a chargeback problem, and I'm <laughs> going to figure it out. Um, so ultimately, it was a situation that I just needed to spot the patterns and trends and learn a little bit and able to make the tweaks and improvements to get it under control. It felt like we were re rejecting all legitimate users letting all the fraudsters in. So you just make a couple of those tweaks. It was like, oh, you're, you really know what you're doing. I'm like, yep, chargebacks, got that under control. Um, but as I kind of grew in my career, ended up at a, another place. And we weren't fighting our chargebacks at all. Uh, we were a digital subscription yeah. company and we were accepting everything because mm -hmm. we had nothing to automate it. We were, if you put really any manual labor on it, we would have to win an absurd amount. And even if we were 100% first party fraud, friendly fraud, whatever your term is you want to use, I'm throwing them both out there so no one fights, um, that it would, it would be a loss. So we would just accept it. And then that's really where I started to find chargeback automation tools. At this point, there weren't many. There were very few players in the space. But for me, we were losing a good amount of money to chargebacks. And looking through them, they were most likely first-party friendly fraud. And I had a good chance of all the data we had to put together a good dispute yeah. on this. Um, we were very friendly in our refunds. We did a lot of education. So it wasn't like um, these markets and customers were blind to our product. We collected a lot of usage information of what they were, how they're using our platform and what they were really doing on our platform, all the different times they logged in. So I had a lot of data to say, no, this is, this was you. Um, yeah. And if you came to us, we probably would have just refunded you, no questions asked. Uh, so we had a pretty strict policy on chargebacks when it was this type of scenario, when we got the automation up and running. Um, so... Yeah. Anyone who came to us, we were very lenient. Anyone who didn't come to us, we were very strict. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, players in the automation space now, and I think that um, yeah. they're they're not all created equal. Some are better than others. One of the things that, like, um, obviously, when I was at my last company, we we got a tremendous amount of chargebacks on a, on a regular basis, but then during COVID, it was like gangbusters. But yeah. um, I I had a product there that I had uh, when I my first very first thing I did in 2018 when I joined was uh was dropping a chargeback tool in. And uh, then I immediately began to bend it to my will more than the the uh, vendor had ever designed it to be. So um, 
with my team over there, we worked pretty, pretty tirelessly to come up with like a lot of rules, like kind of like fraud yep. rules. Like if it comes in, it hits this, this, yep. this, and it gets this. We actually even flew out to some of the networks and sat down with them and said, these are the response packets that we are sending. We're not seeing the results we would like. What do you want us to change? And we spent like a day at each of them, like tweaking those until we got this really clean, super easy, like really small response. Like I found that less was more. I'm replying to the chargebacks like uh, like when I first joined there, they were sending like 70 page packets, like just like I think what the, what's the limit? What's the limit now? It's like eight pages, isn't it? It's it's six or eight. I think, I think yeah, eight. Uh, it's real well, really at the point. It's you it's, assume a human's gonna read it. Yeah. And you want to make it digestible for them. Yes, they have automations on it. Yes, not a human's not reviewing every single one. So it also needs to have like the data points and triggers that that they ask for. So if a computer AI is reading it, it can pull that out. So it's a weird yeah. balance of really being that digestible and then putting all the data in that can trigger their side. I was funny because like I did the same thing like where I was like, okay, I'm like, there's going to be a guy in a, in a room that's going to look at like 600 of these today. And I was like, so I want, when he loads this up and it opens on his screen, I want the first thing he sees to be exactly what he needs. I'm like, I don't even want yep. him to have to scroll. So I like with bold things, like to draw the yep. attention right to it. And I put like compelling evidence across the top in giant letters. And then like, just have like, this is like the, in the like 1.0, like with the, uh, add the email address and the, um, the thing is like, and it's been used X amount of times, boom, it's delivered to, and I had to put the email address because we were digital delivery. But I mean, it, it worked, we were winning. Like when we, when we would fight, we would win upwards of 70% of the stuff we fought. You know, we would, of course would accept things. You don't want to fight just everything. Yeah. Um, yeah, you you, you, it's, again, it goes into your feedback of like, hey, if I'm going to lose 100% of these, don't even put the effort into to it. It's really having that feedback loop of not creating more noise and effort or pulling more data than you really need to and running your systems more than you need to. It's just, again, having visibility into that product, what you're doing. And if you are successful in one certain area, 70% is incredible. I thought I was really good at one company when I, I hit 55 consistently yeah so i felt pretty it, good there it, it, it all matters like like money transfer you know like you get chargebacks on like money transfer stuff like like gift cards and things like that mm -hmm. like your win rate's gonna be like super low like even like it's the same thing as like you have to know your company's baseline like like manual review rates are, are another great example is like some companies it's like four or five you know two one zero percent uh, but some companies it's like 30 yep. percent your reject rate's like 30 percent you know you need to understand like what's normal for your business and not be trying to chase and like just a regular like e-commerce world like your business if you have a hot product you got a bunch of sneakers everybody wants your rates are going to be completely different than everybody else but like yep. my, one last thing on the chargebacks like my uh during covid one at that last company like we we got so complex with our rules like they would come in it would look at, at the the card the network the state and it would automatically even grab like a stay-at-home order if one existed and attach it to the packet and send it back like we had like this crazy huge tree of like automation that would go down. And I think we answered like, like some in the high eighties percent, like completely automated was just, they would come in and they go out like instantaneously because it was all, yep. but it was like down to the re like reason code and then all that, you know, like if it was like a non receipt or whatever. So good times. All right. One last one. What we got? Investigation optimization. Uh, so I, I, we've kind of talked a lot about this. Kind 13 of tabs out today, <laughs> 13 different tabs. Uh, but also understanding like what your team's looking at, how they really are investigating. I talk a lot about, a lot about building out the user journey map more for a 
business to understand your risk surface area. But on the other end of that, especially when I was working internally, it is mapping out your investigation flow itself. So a different type of map. Um, I don't talk about this one as much publicly, uh, but it is really understanding the flow for your investigators. What is their experience? Yeah. And you can say, hey, where are we spending a lot of time? We're spending a lot of time jungling tabs. Okay, we might want to figure out how we can fix that. We're spending a lot of time going down the Google page 30. We probably don't want to do that. And we want to add some boundaries there to say, if you're not finding it within X amount of time, X yep. amount of tabs, whatever it may not, be. You go down the rabbit hole, but not all that. the way. <laughs> exactly. It's about being curious, but having enough confidence to say, I have enough information to make a decision out of this. So really, it can be different. Honestly, you you have your, your flow of it, of how your process should be for your team. But of that, there's going to be nuances for each individual fraud fighter of this person spends forever just looking through every single detail that the provider has. They have a high hit rate of being very accurate, but their average handling oh, time cost? needs to yeah. be cut down. So where in their process are they over-consuming information that they've already collected that isn't impacting their decision at all? Where then the, the other person is skipping steps. Easy to say, hey, hey, why aren't you looking that up? Oh, I never find anything there. And then you walk through. It always happens to be that one case you walk through with them, coaching through. You find a piece of information on that that step they skip. So there is really understanding that of how can you understand how you want your fraud fighters actually to investigate, what the reality is of how they actually investigate, and then what are the data that's ultimately moving the needle from approve, accept, and approve yeah. or reject, or if you, depending on how your team is, escalate to another team. That can always be so, an option or ask for more information. And we we very much like to keep in, in contact with our with our investigators on our team to see like what where are the, what are they looking at, what are they using, and make it, we move the elements around on the page. You yeah. know, and I yeah. actually did a last year I did a big consulting project with one of the major fraud tools. And uh, that was one of my things is like, they were like, well, we'll look at our case management. And I was like, <laughs> and I was like, all right, guys, I'm like, we need to be able to see this, this and this immediately. Like, I don't want to have to scroll to see that. But it was it, like, and they've, and they've since changed it, you know, like, they, they were trying to like, overload the, the end user. And I'm yep. like, they don't need that they need to make a decision quickly, and be able to see these things. So like, and, and don't be afraid to talk to like your, your UX team or your product team. Like if you have those kinds of dialogues and be like, Hey, can we move this thing here? Can we add this here? It, it Like usually like you can, especially if it's a homegrown tool on the back end. Now, if you're using your fraud tool as your only investigative tool, um, maybe not, <laughs> you know, but like, I, I'm very vocal with my fraud tools about like product enhancements and requests. So uh, I it feel goes like into the relationships you have. If you're not spending time building, I know no one likes QBRs. But if you aren't finding I a I way to take communicate, <laughs> well, you got lucky then with the partners you choose, I guess, then, um, or sign big enough contracts that they can bake yeah, that into what you're paying for. <laughs> uh, but being able to develop those relationships with them. So one, they care about what you say. And if they don't really care about you and you're just a number, you're probably not going to influence how the product feels or whatnot. Um, also, if you develop those relationships, if they're testing out new features, you might be able to have a little bit more influence or a say before the feature comes out of beta. 
so you can kind of influence yeah. how it looks and feels. So when it comes live, well, one, you're already comfortable in using it, but it is to tailored more so to what you want versus, oh, cool feature, doesn't work for us. This is why I think like um, advisory boards that, that vendors do are super important. Like I know that people have kind of got away from it. It seems like a little more in the last few years, but like getting like getting a bunch of your users in one room together yeah. and then just talking about, okay, what do you guys like about it? What don't you like about it? What would you change? I mean, that's free free product advice. Like from from all of them. you might got to take them somewhere, you know, take them to a dinner or something. But like the that's valuable information that you can get from like your users easily and like i think people need to take advantage of that more yeah uh, i'll even and- offer another one i'm gonna plug myself and dodgeball hire someone who's done it before i mean this is my first time on the provider pay for the internal expert bring them on yeah one they'll help you with positioning and messaging of where does a fraud community hang out how do you speak to them what do they care about what yeah. do you actually care about yes don't build your whole strategy on one person's perspective but helping be a voice of the community, feed that back into your product, feed that back into your messaging, feed that back into your landing page, feed that back into how you keep people involved on building out your product for the uh, your features and products moving forward. It's like having that advisory board, but in one bit. So my network, some people are more apt to talk to me of how to build Dodgeball or this would be cool if you could do that than a salesperson. Yeah, when I go out and I kind of talk and reach out to people for feedback, people think I'm I'm sales. And I support people. I support the sales side because if someone wants to talk the nuanced bit of what's this actually mean, how would I actually use it, I am there. I am supportive through that. Uh, but yeah. if you want sales, if you want to buy our product, I am kicking you on to someone else. That is kind of like my personal boundary. So to the vendors yeah, out good, there- That's a good boundary to have. <laughs> code. Hire a fraud expert who's yeah. done it before. That's so funny. I literally had that conversation yesterday about another another vendor. I'm like, well, they hire fraud people. And that's 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 what sets them apart is they hire fraud people when a lot of these vendors, they just hire UX people from somewhere that have never done this job before. Like if you're a vendor and you want the best, hire fraud people that have sat in these seats before because they're going to tell you what you should be building, not what you think you should be building. What you think yep. you should be building is probably really pretty and really nice, but where if no one wants to use it because it's ugly, then you're going to have a problem there. So, yeah. Well, I think that's going to wrap us up for today. We're going a little long here, which I love. I love long episodes, but yeah. the feedback from the producers is um, the shorter episodes get the views, but I think the guests get the views. And that's Drop it on up. <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll cut down a little bit here. You know, all that, all that crazy stuff that we don't want to get canceled. No, uh, I'll, I'll cut it up a little bit, but thank you very much for coming on. I really appreciate your Absolutely. time, especially short notice, jumping right on. Because I think I emailed you like on Monday and said, let's do this. And here it is Thursday when we're recording. So thank you Worked for coming this on. Week. Yeah, I'll put all the links in in below to all the things that, that are related to you, your, your company, Dodgeball, you, yourself, everything. So just thank you so much for your time. Um, yeah. Awesome. Thanks for having me. And really, we're all in this fight together. That's really kind of my biggest bit. Uh, really trying to make it easier for our community to fight fraud and bringing people together. Fraudsters work and communicate better than our community. So it's my challenge and mission to break down some of those silos internally at companies and externally at companies. Fraud's no longer taboo and we got to talk about it. Yes, we do. And I'm going to have you back for more episodes and maybe we can talk about breaking down those silos too. All right, buddy. Well, I really appreciate it, man. Uh, we'll talk soon. 
Thank you for listening to today's episode. I really hope you enjoyed the content. Don't forget to visit my friends at Spec, who just happen to be this quarter's sponsors. Their patented TrustCloud platform can help you orchestrate the future of your fraud and payments journey for a quick and easy no-code implementation. It's really quite impressive. See it for yourself at www.specprotected.com today and ask for a demo on your very own site. Thanks again for listening.